0: Good morning, and happy Friday. Today is September the 8th. I'm your host, Ram Christopher.
1: And I'm Kyle Christopher.
0: This is Everything's Political. So, this is officially our 11th episode, and we're going to bring you some national news. Out of the national, Biden trails Haley in the polls. In business news, Grindr loses half its staff due to strict return to work policy. In sports, recap of week one, and a look forward to this week's top matchups in college football. And over in Minnesota, a politician who wanted to defund the police changes her tune after a vicious vicious carjacking. In local news, progressives react to Mayor Adams' fiery town hall speech. And up in the Bronx, walking tours are being offered by the city along the cross Bronx Expressway to help reimagine the work of Robert Moses. Wow, that was a mouthful, Kyle. <laughs>
1: <laughs> um, yeah, there's no way to, I guess, put that in a short headline, is there?
0: No, <laughs> not at all. Um, so we also have our WTF story, and we'll get into those juicy details a little further in the episode. So we're going to start off with the uh, Biden trailing Haley in the polls headline. All right. And so a new poll from CNN is providing bad news for the White House and President Biden, Biden, who scores just a 39% approval rating a little more than a year before Election Day. 61% disapprove of Biden's job performance in the poll, and his approval rating is down from 45% in CNN's polling at the beginning of the year. The poll also finds former South Carolina governor Nikki Haley is the only GOP presidential candidate who was leading in a hypothetical matchup with Biden. The CNN poll conducted by SSRS found that Haley led Biden 49 percent to 43 percent, while every other major Republican candidate remains neck and neck with him. (laughs) <laughs> these, the, these results are good news for Haley, a former United Nations ambassador under President Trump, who was looking to build on a strong performance in the first GOP presidential debate late last month to challenge her former boss for the Republican nomination. Mm. Well, I'm just going to say this. If you believe this poll, you just need to go ahead and stand on your head. Because, like, come on.
1: Yeah, I, I have a hard time believing this poll. Obviously, either Nikki Haley or somebody else got this poll drawn up, and that's often the case with polls. I guess, like we can speak to that definitely as uh, political consultants. That you know, polling if it's not necessarily directed by a very neutral site, or we're not looking at the aggregate of all polls, you got to wonder where it's coming from. That's a question you have to ask as an educated voter. Where is this poll coming from? What's the what's the objective? What, what how does this make me feel? And then may come to the answer of like you know, well this is the, the the I guess the agenda behind this poll.
0: Right, and I would go even far further to say right. We know it comes from CNN. We also know the CNN news skews to the left. I mean, like most news outlet these days, they're not very neutral. They skew either left or right. Um, CNN goes for the left. Fox goes for the right. But with this poll, I would also have to go as far as to say like who did they poll because. Like a lot of the times with these polling companies, even like get these large amounts of money and these, these con- consultants, they are polling people, uh, this really large marginal group of people that aren't necessarily, you know, voters. Sometimes they're not always like a big enough sampling either. Um, And or maybe in my opinion, I think this or or they could be super voters, right? They could be super voters or they're like, what are the demographics of this poll? Were they were they only women? Were they only men? But uh, honestly, no one believed Nikki Haley to be the winner out of that GOP uh, debate. I've never saw anyone cover it anyway that said that she was the GOP debate winner. I would say that this poll was conducted by the the Democratic Party themselves because they know that this is, in fact, the weakest of all the GOP candidates. of the top five five, yes of the top five yes she has name recognition but she's also like who is she she reminds me a lot of elizabeth warren um but she's the republican elizabeth warren yeah in reverse right because she doesn't want to be indian Indian. and elizabeth warren wanted to be native american (laughs) um really badly and so i think that like the you know i mean it i don't know where anybody would think of her as being a strong person for this race, particularly, you have other people that are definitely polling better. Um, you have um, DeSantis, who is still top of the polls everywhere. Um, Trump, obviously, Trump is definitely, he's yeah, top he's top of the poll, and he definitely isn't having like some low breakdown against Biden. Like he's still slated even with all his indictments and all the, the mug shots and everything else, he's still slated to be that, you know, the top opponent. And then you also, obviously you have the better of the GOP candidates and Vivek Ramaswamy in, um, in my opinion. Yeah. And I think that's the opinion that matters here. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. I'm kidding. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I mean, do you have more on this or do you want to go into our next story?
1: I just, you know, I just wanted to add on that because uh, you're looking at, again, we were talking about how the polls go and, you know, Haley's number four at this point in time. And, again, it's all about agenda. And the idea that Joe Biden could be losing just from a mathematical standpoint So, somebody that's coming in and forth, you know, they say, well, oh, that's not how a poll works. but. Math is math. And that's an important thing to remember for everybody. And I think we'll be getting into why math is math a little right. bit more. So I just wanted to, you know, give a little segue into some of the stuff that we, well, not a segue, but I guess a teaser or a little note to remember for when we're going forward and talking about some other things later on in this episode.
0: Yeah, I mean, but you just the point that you just brought actually made me want to say something even further. Okay, this is the GOP, right? And you're saying that the woman out of the field is the top of the priorities. Now, if you know anything about traditional trends about how GOP uh, voters normally or typically vote, they're not voting normally for the woman in the field when they have a, a group of strong men, right? You have a lot of different alternatives. Again, you said she's ranked fourth overall for the GOP candidates. So if she's beating him, then that would only lead you to believe that all the other three candidates that are above her in that poll would also be beating him head to head. So, I mean...
1: It's kind of how the math works, unless you're actually polling all Democrats.
0: Right. So why would you point this or highlight this out? I mean, I understand. I do think that this is a Democratic poll, just given what I know about how, you know, things results. usually go and the results. This is a Democratic poll that was conducted and you probably, you know, you, you did a poll on uh right, uh, moderate Republican women or or educated Republican yeah. women. That was a small sampling, and this is what you did. Or you know,
1: but and, and get, but speak to that for a second because you know people will be like, how did you do this? But talk to some about talk a little bit about data and how that works and like how. We can actually pull out those voters and know who those voters are.
0: Right. So if you are, if you're using systems, uh, whether it be like Vote Builder, Van uh, on the Democratic side, or if you're using on the Republican L2, side, L two um, is also a data system. These are systems that read in the the voter files for whatever state or specific region and then you're able to then pull out specific um identity markers filter you could filter it survey questions whatever the uh, case may be about these particular voters you can narrow it down by age um you know demographic as far as like religion um and all and, 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 and income on L2 you can do it based on income of the household so if you're looking at people or college degrees so if the person has a college degree you could have been targeting specifically educated people um, uh, educated women of a certain group age group so if you're in a certain state yeah, so because if they're saying this is a national poll, like, I mean, I'm just wondering, like, I wish they would have put that kind of information in this before, like, releasing it because it, like, when they say these polls, I'm like, what, what, what were the markers that you used? Because this doesn't make any sense at all. And you're saying it's a hypothetical. So what were the hypotheticals that you used? Because, uh, like, it, it, it doesn't really tell you. So we're going to go ahead and move it on over to a funnier story in my mind. I heard this yesterday first on Bloomberg, um, and it, they were laughing about it, and it got me laughing while I was driving um, to pick up my child. Yes, that's right. I'm a driver. Thank you a lot, Uber and congested pricing, obviously. <laughs> it kind of goes on theme anyways. But anyways, I, I heard this, and I thought it was funny. Grinder loses nearly half its staff to strict return-to-work rule. OK, so Grinder has lost about 45 percent of its staff as it enforces a strict return to office policy that was introduced after a majority of employees announced a plan to unionize. About 80 of the 178 employees at the LGBTQ plus dating app company resigned after the company in August mandated that workers return to work in person just two days a week. At assigned hub offices, or be fired, the Communication Workers of America said in a statement Wednesday.
1: You know, I actually didn't know there was like another component to this story because usually I'm the one reading the stories, and I I guess you pulled this one, and I didn't realize that there was a um, you know, I guess a retaliatory factor to this uh, where, you know, there was a union negotiation. Let me just look at that again. Yeah, um, that they.
0: Yes, but they also stated, Grindr stated that this had absolutely nothing to do with it because back to work is something that every other company was enforcing and that this had not, one wasn't seen as a retaliation.
1: I, I guess, I mean, but, you know, they say they're going to unionize and then you're like, well, you guys have to come in two days a week knowing that, you know, if you know that's the straw that's going to break the camel's back. It was a smart move on their part. And I, don't get me wrong, i <laughs> talking about broken backs now. <laughs> oh
0: my god! Um, it's two days a week, man. I mean, yeah,
1: two days a week. Uh, it's it's outrageous um, <laughs> that like you know America has become so soft and so coddled. Listen,
0: even on Bloomberg, and Bloomberg is a little bit of a more Bloomberg is more of a, a of a of a progressive outlet at this point. Yeah, they're moderate because they deal with finance and everything else, but they're a little bit more more PC on their speech. But even them, they they on there, they were like, I can't believe. That someone is complaining about coming to work for two days, especially given that we know that in the sector of technology, these offices are very cush. They're nice, and then they were like, we'd have to believe that like they're part of the LGBTQ. ai community plus or whatever ai community that they are also like hospitable hospitable because a lot of the staff there are identifying as such so they were like we can't imagine why working two days a week would seem like something so mind-boggling and like be blown out of such proportion
1: well that's you know that's why i was getting at the the whole thing Like i didn't realize the conflict was there and maybe the union wanted to institute like forever work from home (laughs) So, you know, that was one of those things that, like, it was possible that, like, there was, you know, that was part of the negotiation, and that was kind of, like, the breaking point. Like, I can't get away from breaking back.
0: (laughs) But you understand, like, as a business owner, right, like, that there are also, like, you you end up getting... Penalized when you're working from home too with the taxes. Like you do have to have a base, and people have to return to work for tax purposes because of the you know like a lot of times when you're a business owner, the reason why you need that brick and mortar is so that you can write off some of the taxes and the cost of the overhead. And if you don't have people working out of the office, then you lose that as a as tax coverage. So you you end up bankrupting your own company by not wanting to adhere to this simple policy of two days a week.
1: Believe me, I I get where you're coming from, and I totally understand that, like the tax idea and the tax, the tax tactics, so to speak, that we're talking about. But it just it, it just hits me as interesting because that, I didn't know that that particular yeah I heard, I, uh, <laughs> component of the story, and it just it makes it interesting. But I think uh, you know it's kind of funny and. Where do you want to go with that
0: one? I, I want to go ahead and just follow up with a spokesperson from Grinder and what they said. A spokesperson for Grinder said that the claims filed by the union have no merit and that the uh, the company is looking forward to returning to the office in a hybrid model in October and further improving productivity and collaboration for our entire team. And we also know, like if I worked in a hybrid model in jobs that I've worked uh, in the political space, um, it, it you know, you can read that line if you want to go ahead about what Yeah, I Yeah,
1: I guess like we're looking at the article on and- And return to that, or I guess what prompted that was that Eric Cortez, a member of the organizing group, said in a statement, it is clear Grindr wants the workers to be silenced and deterred from exercising our rights to organize, regardless of the expense. So I I think that it kind of might be pointing in the direction that I was saying. But Yeah, I
0: know. Obviously, they're going to paint it that way, but I'd have to side with the business here. And I I think that it's completely necessary. to have some form of hybrid model, not only for your tax purposes as uh, an employer, um, but also just in the sense of productivity. We do better when we do come into office. We do better when we have that so so, social interaction with our peers so that we can better provide, uh, provide whatever uh, a work product that we're supposed to be bringing. It's better to collaborate in person instead of always being in this silo uh, on our computers doing zoom meetings.
1: Yeah. I'm pretty sure we can do this over the phone. No, our show. And um. You know, it has me get, thinking towards other things that we have uh, lined up for today and, you know, also about how certain cities are not necessarily making it easy for us to come back to the office and things and, and things of that nature. You know, if Reiner were a New York company, we'd be worrying about, well, you know, we have to come in. And one of the arguments was like, we don't want to come in because congestion pricing.
0: Yeah, exactly that. But you know what? congestion pricing isn't just here yet and this 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 company operates out in Cali right yeah. so but
1: I was just you know it's all in my it's, <laughs> I know it's all I know my head percolating and, and, and you
0: know yeah I got you I understand and I definitely agree with you and I think that that is one of the 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 key elements that we have I mean the key themes of today's and I, I like how you always tie it together and congestion pricing is real and it's seriously a problem um, but, but the folks at grinder, come on, y'all do better. I mean, it's a, uh, it can't be that bad to work there. It seems like a, you know, a pretty decent, uh, tech company. And, uh, you're gonna, you're gonna lose something for the, you know, LGBTQ AI community there. Um, all right. So well, it's
1: about to get crazy.
0: Yes. We're going to move on over to our football section of the day. It's Friday y'all. So we're in week two. And Florida State smacked LSU. Oh my goodness! And the biggest game of Week One of the 2023 college football season. Another top ten clash has hit it our way in Week Two. Third-ranked Alabama is set to meet number eleven Texas for a showdown in Tuscaloosa. Not only is this contest a preview of future conference foes, but it's a rematch of an entertaining clash that Alabama Alabama won twenty to nineteen last season.
1: Blood is pumping, and I love that you had to read that first line.
0: Oh, my gosh. I didn't. I was about to gag while reading it. You know, like the same way that my reaction while watching the game.
1: <laughs> why Why were you going to gag when you saw the mastery that Norvell put on the field? The decision-making by Travis Keon Coleman, the debut, the debut with three touchdowns. The Former basketball player looking like a, a soon to be pro NFL all pro wide receiver.
0: Well, I would hope so when you have those additional players on the field wearing black and white. I mean, who, who why, <laughs> why, why wouldn't you be able to do good, right? I mean, it's a home cooking, and that's all I gotta say about that.
1: <laughs> I, I really don't believe it was home cooking. Um, I, I think you couldn't be further from the truth, and we could debate this all day. So let's go back, let, let's get let, let's get into it though. because— There's a reason why you think there was home cooking and why was that?
0: I think the reason for home cooking was to outshine what was done by none other than the great Deion Sanders. Obviously, I'm eating my words. I wrote a post about it on Instagram. I thought that Deion Sanders would not be able to be able to take down um, TCU, but obviously I stood corrected. I was pulling for him. I just didn't think it was possible, Um, but he did it, and you saw it. The game was the best game, I think, out of the weekend. It was close, and it was great football being played in a a, a great – It was a shootout, and it was a great display of the athleticism and the potential there for – Deion Sanders to always make anyone around him great and that to me is why I want him to become the Dallas Cowboys football coach <laughs> but,
1: I, I get it and I, I definitely hear that but you but know, so yeah he, he wasn't gonna be the Cowboys yeah coach. I know
0: but getting back to the point though I really think that they were trying to out you know try to outshine his performance over the weekend because you it, it was said that he was supposed to go to FSU as the head coach correct well
1: before. Certain people like me wanted him to be the coach. And, but it was talks about it, Yeah, and it was, he so could have went somewhere. People wanted, wanted him, and then they were like, oh, no, he'd have to come in as like a defensive backs coach. Like he wasn't good enough yeah. for it.
0: Whereas clearly he is at the potential to be good enough to be in the NFL. Because if not, he's one of the better coaches I've ever seen. He, brings, he makes the game exciting to watch. So why wouldn't you want that there? He's going to sell tickets, and he's also going to make your players better. And I think that they they had to do that, and I think that they'll continue to do that all season is to hype your coach for FSU so that he never gets less shine than Deion Sanders.
1: I think it's, I think you have a great point there. As much as I'm an FSU fan, that um, you know there are a lot of actors in the ACC, uh, possibly even in the SEC, that want FSU to not look, you know, have egg on their face as far as this thing goes because. It will be able, they'll be able to point towards the conference and point towards these teams and say, "Well, you know, racism is still a thing in football, and that's not something that you know we don't we like to talk about because obviously it's a game dominated by young black men. But you know, when we look at our coaches and our sidelines, it's not being dominated. And the reason they give us is that you know either you know they, so, somehow we the, the, it we doesn't have transi- athleticism, it but tra- not It doesn't translate. The athleticism and the intelligence on the field doesn't translate to being a coach." And that—that's why you know the complete opposite of, is true of coaching as to what's on the field, and even more so because it's like something like ninety-five percent of the coaches are, you know, white Americans. So, you know, what? Why isn't Dion? Why wasn't Dion considered? And why was he held at such low regard despite being potentially one of the smartest players ever to play the game, considering how he saw the field and how he was able to play? You know, playing baseball halftime. Professional. Right, and and, and not going to practice, but then still being able to figure out what was going on on the offensive side of the field that when he's playing defense, he knows what the quarterback is thinking. Yeah. So he knows what the quarterback is thinking, mm -hmm. but he won't be able to tell somebody else what to do from the sideline, even though he already knows it. Right. That's the logic that's being employed, and it's a lot of egg on the face of of schools like the SEC and the ACC because they could have had him.
0: Exactly. And especially the one where he used to be an alma mater. That's his alma mater, right? Yeah. So um, I think that, uh, you know, so I, I can't pull for FSU because I have those reasons. Um, and I'm very against them because of that. And uh, Deion Sanders is, again, I'll, I'll make my, my plea, please become the Head coach for the Dallas Cowboys. We need you. We need you. <laughs> You'll make it exciting again, and we can get rid of Dak. Okay, um, going on. So, what are our what are our head our game our matchups for this well, week?
1: Well, I'm saying let's, let's go over that Clemson game because we almost didn't watch it, oh, and yeah. they got upset by Duke. Yes. So Clemson is Clemsoning again.
0: Oh, man. Well, you know, it's okay. I don't think that it's always their nature to be the best of the best. They they had their their highlights there for a little bit. They had their day in the sun, and that day may be, you know, dwindling down all the way. And it it gets back to SEC football, I think. Um, And with OU joining uh, the SEC, we already know where the football really going to be anyway, right? So (laughs) we have our matchups for the week our number 23 texas a&m at miami that game is going to be airing at 3 30 p.m eastern time
1: after both programs trudged through a disappointing five and second seven record last season they're looking to secure an early quality win i just want to let you know i hate both these teams i hate both coaches mario Cristobal, jimbo fisher <laughs> I, I would drive a truck over them Oh my God! I mean, no, he,
0: he won't do that. We're not uh, indirect. We're not inciting any insurrections or. Um, anything.
1: I would drive a truck over either one of them, and no, <laughs> he doesn't. I dislike both of them, uh, a lot. Um, Why? Why? Do well, tell. you know, obviously Jimbo Fisher played the shit out of Florida State. Um, <laughs> I, I don't excuse my language. He he played the hell out of us, and you know Mario Cristobal. Obviously, Miami is just more trash, more Miami trash. Um, you know, Northern Florida is nothing like South Florida. It's no, two different countries. He always says this. And um, I'm, I'm just tired of the Miami trash.
0: All right. So <laughs> that, that game, again, is, is going to be coming on uh, between Texas A&M and Miami. I don't really dislike either of the teams. I don't care too much. But, you know, I guess it's a football game to watch. <laughs> we have another highlight game that we want you to watch. Number 20, Ole Miss. At number 24, Tulane, 3.30 p.m. Eastern Time. Is this is this all coming on tomorrow or is it? Yeah, it's a Saturday, game, Saturday. All Saturdays. Okay, Saturday
1: great. Saturday game so far.
0: Good, 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 good.
1: Who do you, who do you like to win
0: that one? Hmm, I'm going to go with Ole Miss, to be truthful. I, I'll go with Ole Miss. I mean,
1: do you ever pick against the SEC team?
0: I don't because that's where the real football is. SEC, Big 12, all right, all day. All right, we also have our number 18, Oklahoma uh, versus SMU. And, uh, and those are the Sooners. And so I'm going to be watching this game for sure. That's coming on at 6 p.m. Eastern Time. Uh, you know, last week we put a whooping on um, Arkansas State, um, it was 73 to 0. Uh, that's right, 7 3 to 0. Yes, despite the 80-point potential. You know, they never give OU, you know, any credit. we still going to get knocked because we didn't get to 80, even though we got to 7-3. Okay, but a victory nonetheless. Let's go, OU. Yeah.
1: <laughs> Who else you want to watch I this league? I think it's going to be a shootout, and uh, it might not go as well for OU sometimes after those big wins. I think that maybe they flew a little close to the sun, and, you know, it's. I wouldn't put them on a upset alert. I think our next game is definitely upset alert. But, you know, it's going to be closer than people think. This is going to be like a 55-45 type of affair.
0: Mm, I'm not going to say that it won't be. uh, Yeah, I'll give you it'll probably be a little close, but I don't think that we're going to come out losing. So that's all that matters is that we get that W. Again, we're still building. All right, next we have up Appalachian State at North North Carolina. That game is happening at 5.15 p.m. Eastern Time.
1: And that's our upset, upset alert for the week. I think that uh, North Carolina is riding high, and Appalachian State is always an upset special. The in-state, I guess they're, you know, they might be the in-state rival because they have the best chance of beating a North Carolina team. Um, then any, I don't think NC State is going to beat North Carolina, and I don't think Duke is going to beat North Carolina this year. So despite, you know, upsetting Clemson, I think that, you know, Duke has run out. They, they're going to run their course because now, you know, people are going to be looking out for them. So, Appalachian State is a very dangerous game for North Carolina. It's a trap game for them. And uh, I think, you know, you should expect the worst as far as uh, if, you're, if you're looking at the over-unders and all those things like that.
0: Why do you think that exactly, though? What about App State makes you think that they have the, what it takes?
1: Uh, year after year, they upset teams. Okay. Um, you know, they're a hardy team. They, they just, I don't know how they put that team together year after year. But they believe in themselves. They play hard. And they never stop. And they produce upsets year after year, so there's no there's no reason not to believe that, you know. And, and again, it's also has a lot to do with the with the state that they're in, as far as uh, North Carolina. You know, both both schools are in North Carolina, and you always happen to tend to overlook those in-state rivals. That's where you often get those those weird upsets. Yeah.
0: Okay. I agree with that. Uh, it looks like the Bleacher Report thinks North Carolina will win
1: 38-21. Yeah. I, I mean common sense would tell you like yes this north carolina should win this game by a couple of touchdowns uh, a, cu- a couple of touchdowns on a field goal but if you know obviously when when you, that's why you call it an upset mm, yeah, yeah right
0: yeah i got you <laughs> are there any other games that you think that oh oh that's a, that well, we already so we're gonna, you know, Utah versus Baylor is happening noon tomorrow. Uh, that's another one we'll probably look at a bit. Uh, speaking of rough losses, Baylor fell to Texas State in Week One, just like Texas Tech. However, the hosts are probably headed for another loss at the hands of a Pac-12 opponent. That's right. Never count on you know. It's it's. What do you think about that? Do you think that's about accurate? Utah up twenty-four, Baylor thirteen. That's the prediction.
1: Again, I think this is, this is, a, I guess, a, a mirror of um, that game. Well, I, I can't say it's a mirror of Appalachian State because, you know, obviously Baylor's a, a power five program, but I think Utah's really feeling themselves after, after you know, avenging a loss over Florida la- last year and uh, winning this year. So, you know, they might be looking at too far ahead down the schedule and may overlook Baylor, and that's where Baylor has a chance to sneak in. So that would be another game that I'd be looking for an uh, upset with. And, obviously, we have our big game.
0: Go ahead. Yeah, so, a number 11, Texas, at number 3, Alabama, 7 p.m. Eastern time. I'm really interested in this game. I'm really looking forward to seeing it. I firmly believe and when I see it, territory with Texas and marquee games, this is neither a bold nor a unique statement and you might share this that sentiment. But this showdown in Tuscaloosa is the exact opportunity for the Longhorns. The Longhorns need to change the perception. Alabama quarterback Jalen Milroe calmed some nerves with his terrific opener, too. So they have Alabama 27 27, Texas, 20. That's a really close one. Well,
1: last year's game was really close. I, I think it was 19. Uh, I can't remember it was 21-19 or something like that. Yeah, but it was really close. It was really close, and I think that these two teams, uh, Texas is doing a better job at this moment than uh, Oklahoma of building a team that's SEC-ready as far as the defense goes no yes and that's, that's not why true. that's why those scores are so close when they play alabama no. it's not by magic it's not by we haven't
0: played alabama you can't say that because the, we have been i don't know if you've been looking at the recruitment for oklahoma but we've been recruiting mostly defensive players yes we do have the top quarterback but we've been recruiting from florida and texas since all of the uh, the major schools, even Alabama, some big good old hardy boys for our defensive. We've been building. We're building. But I don't know how we got right into this conversation, but you're going to keep making digs at OU. But either way, I, I like Texas uh, to, to definitely be the loser in this game. Alabama is going to stomp them, I think. Um, and But, you know, I think it's going to be a good showdown. At least we get to see some real football people on the screen.
1: Some real football people. Like we didn't watch some real football games last week.
0: No, I was watching those referees make some crazy calls for FSU. That's what I was watching. And obviously Colorado was a great game to watch, but I'm saying beyond that, I I was it was lackluster for football weekend. And I'm 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 excited that we got some real teams on this week. We got Notre Dame, North Carolina State.
1: Oh yeah, that's another one. That's yeah, another I
0: one. I will definitely be tuning in. I like Notre Dame football. I like to watch them. They're good they they actually play well. So <laughs> Yeah, so that's it for our sports. We are going to now kick it over to Minnesota. So, you want to read this one for me? All right. You you might be able to do the name better than me.
1: I, you know, I was looking at it. I, I still don't know how to say it. I heard him say it like on two different uh, on two different radio stations. I still don't know how to say it. So please excuse me when I when I butcher this name. But over from Minnesota, we have a leader of the Minnesota DFL. That's the de- Democratic Farm Labor Party says she was suddenly violently carjacked at her North Minneapolis home in front of her young children Tuesday evening. Shivanti Satanadan, who is the DFL's second vice chair, posted an image of her bloody face online along with her account of the incident. Satandan says she suffered a broken leg, cuts, bruises after four young men carrying guns attacked her outside of her home while her four-year-old daughter and seven-year-old son screamed for help. And she posted, these criminals will not win, we need to take back our city, and this will not be the last of you hear from me about this, she wrote on Facebook. We need to get illegal guns off our streets, catch these young people who are running wild, creating chaos across our city, and hold them in custody and prosecute them. According to a police report, officers found that Sestatadan's vehicle abandoned, uh, later found Sestatadan's vehicle abandoned and recovered it.
0: All right, so go ahead.
1: No, I, I think you, you need to go ahead and, and tell me how you feel about this.
0: <laughs> listen. Again, I told you before I had visited Minneapolis earlier on this year, um, I you know spoke to a lot of people on the ground and they had been talking about the lack of, of protection uh, from you know, police because of the whole defund movement sweeping in after in the aftermath of George Floyd and you them, them talking about like people had been busted in a lot of those antifa uh white young uh individuals being shipped in to speak on behalf of the black residents and the black communities and then in the aftermath those black people went unprotected where we saw a rise in crime a lot of homicides a lot of carjackings a lot of those things were taking place we even seen you know vehicular uh, homicides and all those things happening because they people believe that nothing would happen to them because of the defund movement because the police actually had pretty much stopped working to some point because they're underfunded and they're also not being supported by the community. That they, That's what they thought, but they were being supported because the narrative, the fake narrative was out there, right? And this person, I don't even know, uh, this DFL leader, um, I'm just going to call her Shiv. Um, she was one of the people that was for the defund movement. So they said that she's now, you know, backtracking what she said and saying something completely different now. Right. After this, you know, this happened to her In her. Uh, I, this is one thing I just wanted to just point out. She says we need to get illegal guns off the street, but she has a broken leg and uh, lacerations to her head that were not anything to do with a gun. From what I'm saying, from what I can tell. Right. They beat her with their hands. So do we get. Can can we get hands off the street then? Like, because I don't really see how the illegal guns come into play. I mean, she can say that because they had guns, that was how they were able to beat her up. But it's, that it's, would it's, never it's, be the I, case. I, that's
1: an interesting thing. There's a lot of like, there's a lot of loaded language in that post. And I guess the the illegal guns is to say is to try to pull back the other thing that she said. Right. Was, was, was the, did you catch that part with the custody? Yeah. Because that means no bail, right? Right. Hold them without bail.
0: Right. Exactly, where she's been a person where she's for bail reform, her whole movement has been with the far leftists, and I mean, she's walking on eggshells here, you've been beaten to a bloody pulp, your head, you have blood spewing from your face, you got beaten in front of your children. Um, And you guys have thought you're painting this as if this is what black people want still. I mean, this is not a black woman. Um, She's Indian um, and she's in the community, you know, where they are saying, yeah, like we don't want to be racist because we don't want to lock up people who do crime, yada, yada, yada. Well, that is to imply that only people who do crime are black, which I don't think that is the truth. I think that all kinds of people are capable of crime. But nevertheless, going back to the point. The, the gun statement is what sticks out to me because I'm like, they're men, right? Like, even if they're young boys, younger boys or teenagers, or even if they're young, um, 20-something men, th- of course they can beat you up. They don't need a gun to beat you up when you're a woman. Like, we are, we have different physical capacities. Um, you're front, first off, you're in front of your children. You're fr- your children, you're you're scared for your children. Um, and then, you know, like this happens to you, God forbid, in your own house, in front of your own home over a car, you get jacked. Now, I'm glad that nothing more happened to her, but to try to make it a gun argument or to do just like virtue signaling um, with the gun situation, you didn't get shot. Like, I don't understand how that becomes your argument. You were violently carjacked, Um, this is what happens when you are telling people that they don't need police anymore because an incident happened where a guy was murdered by a police officer it does not mean that police in general were all bad that you will have bad actors in any profession in anything but that doesn't mean you could throw the baby out with the bathwater when we do that we end up with these types of situations you are someone who is strictly for it and now you're going to call against it now my, 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 the question I have is about the, you know, the, the person in charge, um, uh, the DA, right? Um, oh, yeah. the DA,
1: Mary Moriarty
0: Yes. Thank you. Mary Moriarty Okay. So she has had countless times over and over again to do the right thing is for, by the people of her district, um, by the people in, uh, this area, in this region of the world. But what has she done? Time and time again, she has dropped the ball uh, where she should be serving and doing right by the victims and the families of victims. She has undercut and told people that their lives, the lives of their loved one, means absolutely not because i rather play and pander for re-election. And that re-election isn't going to get—you're you're, going to end up out on your butt anyway at the end of the day because people don't want this. What you're doing is tearing apart a community. Now people that were even on the side of what you asked for are even being becoming collateral damage.
1: I just want I want you to pump the brakes for a second because I guess our listeners might not be able to— I I'll just put the name out there and you give you give the explanation because you're on a roll. I'm oh, sorry ahead, to stop ahead. you, but Zarya McKeever. That's who you're talking about,
0: right? So specifically speaking, yes, this woman now she's up in arms. Shiv, I'm gonna say Shiv is up in arms because this happened to her right now. She's calling for justice and all these things well, where to be was happening. What well, exactly? What What about with the McKeever case? When a black woman, a mother, was murdered in her home in front of her children. At a, in a murder for hire case, where her ex partner decided to take revenge on her because she had moved on and had a new love interest. In this situation, he hired minors allegedly to go in and murder his, his the mother of his children or children uh, or child. Um, and in this situation, the woman was killed. She was actually shot dead, right? She was yeah. shot dead in her apartment by the uh, allegedly by the two um minor children. I think one was 15 and the other was 17 and one of them got com- got no n- got completely let loose with no type of prison time or anything happening. And the other one was serving what a 2-year term or something like that and being charged as a minor even though they were 17 and did committed a murder um they were the ones found guilty of committing the murder and then they would let him go completely
1: right and the kid got probation or something the,
0: one of them yeah got probation and a 2 year stint or something yeah. like that it, it, so and then you have other incidents that have happened as well this is not the only one this is one of the more highly uh politicized one also ones that were running on social media where you could see it and then people talking about it on the ground significantly so I, My thing is, Shiv, so it has to happen to you for you to actually care? Where's the empathy for. Yeah, you did not die. But what about the kid? You're talking about your kids. Your kids witnessed this. Well, that woman's kids will be traumatized forever because they saw their mother's dead body.
1: Yeah. They they, they saw the mother's dead body. And to just further that point, you know, you have. It has to happen to you first. And it's something that we've always talked about. And uh, before we ever had this show, it's something that if you look at my Twitter, it's something I constantly heart you know, it, the progressives, the Caucasians from outside of the city that are new to the city tell you what the black community wants, and when it finally does happen to them, all of a sudden, there's they're a radical pitch to the other side, and I wouldn't be surprised if the a lady is a GOP representative in, in two years' time, to be honest, you know, because there's that rapid pitch where they, I can't believe I believed in that, because the fact of the matter is, is that people are telling you the reality of their life on the street. And they're telling the reality of their life in their lower income neighborhood. But you think that you know that the solution to it after having lived never in such a neighborhood before.
0: Or you come in with already your preconceived Notion notions and, and, and privilege, uh, not privileges, but your preconceived notions and, and your re- prejudice yeah. and your prejudice and your understanding of your, 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 your belief in these stereotypes that these people are this type of way. And they are these types of horrible people who don't want this and all this. And, and I know. Yeah. Like again, like
1: we're averse to order. We're averse to. To justice, We're averse to all these things because, oh, because, you know, that harkens back to slavery. But I think that every person, if we go back to, to the basis of everything, every human wants safety. Yes. Every human being wants to feel safe in their home. And if there's gunshots ringing out and gang members running free and carjackings abound, no one will feel safe in that neighborhood. That's just the fact of the matter, and anybody that has any common sense, you might ask a nineteen-year-old, illiterate college, high school, high school dropout, what they feel, and of course, they want—they don't want to go to jail. That's their motivation. But guess what? That's not the majority of the of the town. Because first off, the kids that are running that lifestyle, they have a high mortality rate, and secondly, they're not likely to vote. So you know, the people that are voting in the community, who are the majority, who have made it to to the age of beyond the age of majority, and and to the age of of, of maturity so to speak, where they actually are thinking about their neighborhood in a positive light and want to continue to grow it in a positive way, are definitely not going to vote that way. And, you know, I guess we could tie this full circle. That's how come you see people picking, black people picking that live in these dangerous neighborhoods here in New York City. They pick Eric Adams over over Maya Wiley. They pick Eric Adams over all the other black candidates, Your, your Diane Morales and all the socialist nonsense, didn't even get registered in black precincts, the person that was the furthest left. So you know that's a message to your progressives, a wake up call, but they never see it until it's them, and all of a sudden then it becomes the worst thing. And now she's anti bail reform, um, you know.
0: And I bet, and also if these young men were black, it's also going to come out with a lot of racist rhetoric as well that will later come down in what she's will teach her children right. because of these misunderstandings. Whereas this is the the consequence to what you did to your city in the first place because you left a group of people behind with your antics saying that, Oh no, you don't need this. You don't need the same dignity that I want for myself. You don't deserve that dignity. So this is what you get and it gets handed back to you. So, I mean, sorry that this happened to you. Absolutely. No one should be beaten, no, I, but no, I'm, but I'm, this is I'm, a message I'm, though. I'm, like, I'm it's, not,
1: you know, I'm not sad because the problem here is that, it's not that she thinks that we that we deserve the police or we deserve the crime. It's that she thinks she's helping, and this is a wake up call. And that's why I meant by a wake up call because I'm not sad because you know why this is what needs to happen in order for them to have the real conversation about you know life isn't all or nothing. There's much more happening in the gray and in between and with the compromise than there is with these all or nothing antics that come with being an extremist of being far left or being far right. And we know that she likely be catapulted to the far right with this. But the hope is that it opens her eyes to the fact that it's not the extreme that we need, but the moderate, sensible, pragmatic things that we need. Yes, we need police reform. But we don't need to abolish the police.
0: No, you need police reform where you're just training people and creating better policing com- uh, relationships within the community, so people can get to know each other. Officers can know people in the community. They know the people that like are, you know, the designated uh, mayors. I say this in air quotes of the community, the, the person that knows everyone the sits on the block and is watching everybody, making sure everybody is good. You know, the big the big uncle or the big auntie of the neighborhood. These people need to know these people so you can come in with those relational uh, skills and abilities to not treat people like animals. But at the same time, don't treat people like they don't need that. that they can't be victims like black people can be, you know. They they can be victimized or black like the same way anybody else can. We can get robbed like like the whole the worst thing to be to be to that I see out of all of this is to see like um, a black mother being taken from her family and then there not be any justice done and them thinking that they did the right thing by letting the person out because one of them was a minor. All right, moving on over to more progressives coming out. With local news here, uh, progressives call Adams xenophobic and more. All right. New York Mayor Eric Adams' comments kept state senator Jessica Ramos up at night. Mm. Okay. I,
1: I think she had a tough time falling asleep thinking about the idiocy that was – and it's always, always funny how these like people without college degrees will call the black guy with master's degree an mm-hmm. idiot, but of course – um, that was spewed at the town hall, but she's not racist because, you know, what she, she's a person of color, right? Yeah. She just happens to be a Caucasian with a Spanish last name. Right. Right.
0: But she'll say she's a person of color, but I wouldn't have known any otherwise that she wasn't right. Because just looking at her. Right. Like, mm-hmm. I mean, all right. <laughs> I mean, cause think,
1: think, let, let's just go over that real quick because even if let's, let's go back to that thing with Elizabeth Warren, right? We were making fun of her, but. Even if Elizabeth Warren had some native and that happened to be true, right? Yeah. She's still a majority white person, a majority Caucasian person with a Caucasian last name. And we would consider her white. So how if we change out that Caucasian from Scottish or English to Spanish?
0: Which is still a uh, European speaking language.
1: How is it that that person then becomes, because they have a little bit of native in them, becomes all of a sudden a person of color? Doesn't make any sense to me. But, you know, what do I know? What do I? I
0: mean, I've always asked that question, but um, somehow um, here we are. Adams is no stranger to provocative rhetoric, but his riff Wednesday night that housing and serving migrants will destroy New York City really hit a nerve on the political left. Repugnant MAGA garbage, said socialist New York City uh, council member Tiffany Caban. Dangerous xenophobia, wrote progressive council member Shahana Hanif. And Ramos, Colombian mother, migrated across the U.S.-Mexico border. Her father overstayed a visa, she said, and perhaps that's what, what has me so enraged. The mayor's focus should be on uniting the city and overcoming the challenges, the Queens Democrat said, not doubling down on the already existing divisive and xenophobic rhetoric that can create a very troubling environment for the immigrants here in our city. City Hall's defense. The hoopla brought attention to a crisis New York City has been managing largely alone, even if it came in the form of Fox News stories. And Adams himself shot back Thursday at the Republicans who have praised his dire words. The Trump Republicans created this mess by not passing immigration reform. They're also picking up just half his message.
1: Yeah, I I mean, I I think we talked about that too yesterday where, you know, they're always coming at him from both sides. Yeah. So no matter what he says, no matter how much common sense it makes, you know, everybody's looking to score pity points or pro points, however you want to look at it, for their cause. And this is part of that polarization where you have people so far left and far right where, you know, you have Caucasian women feeling so entitled to call a man that clearly has a, a, has a, a true motivation of actually saving the city and protecting the black and brown people that are already there. But, you know, obviously she's the queen of brown because she's a Caucasian with a Spanish last name.
0: Yeah. I, I think I agree to your I agree with your points. I just I'm so amazed at like how much vitriol comes from the far left. And then you, then it's then coupled from the far right, like with the McCarthy statement that he agreed with, um, you know Adams, and that you know the, the the Fed dropped the ball. I told you that it would have like these consequences because these people are again still just playing politics, whereas like people's lives are on the line. If they really cared about the migrants um, that are coming over, they wouldn't care about being so PC, but they would just call it what it was, and then they would abide by the freaking laws of this country and the laws of the country. Yes, maybe you're speaking to your emotion. Again, all I see is emotion. You're saying because her father overstayed his visa that it's okay for people to enter a nation, whether or not they're asylum seekers or not, whether or not there's no scrutiny being placed on the actual reasoning for them making entry into the country. You're playing on your emotions based on your own like common experience instead of doing the work and protecting the constituents that live in your district already. And that to me is just completely mind-blowing that we have people like that that are in office.
1: I like that word that you use there, scrutiny. Because I think that, you know, if we start to scrutinize what's being said by the by these politicians, especially on the far left, we start to understand that it's more about playing to playing certain notes on the progressive from the progressive uh, music sheet or whatever you want to call it that hit a home with their constituencies and make those people feel like they are actually doing the good thing and you know that they're you know fulfilling the dream of Rudyard Kipling. And-
0: Excuse me for saying this, but what they're doing is playing to white guilt. And we don't need that right now. We don't need you playing to white guilt. Like if you're a white person or any other person, you don't have to have guilt over what is happening. You also need to have your own self-interest at heart here, right? What is the interest of the city, right? We're still a nation. America is still a nation. Yes, we are a nation of immigrants. But they're trying to compare what is happening right now in modern times to what happened during the times of the formation of New York City and Ellis Island, right? You were talking a little bit about something that Caban, Tiffany Caban, the council right, member, that, also put out.
1: Right, and that's why I was getting to the word scrutiny and I was going to bring it in. But I guess you were on a roll, so I'll, I'll let you I'll let you roll. No, you know no, no, I, mean? I wanted t- to bring
0: you back in because t- I didn't, I didn't want to cut you off. Right,
1: so, you know, Tiffany Caban, and, and I guess, like, you know, the author of the of this uh article took it easy on uh you know the comments because some of the things that were said if you actually start to scrutinize those statements you start to understand how ideologically extreme and how far from reality these people are saying that my this is now the words of tiffany caban on x saying that the migrants from all over the world arriving here will destroy new york city is repugnant maga garbage so that's where he got that that little snippet Ten thousand a month in 1907, that many came in a day and it made the city. Let's drop the demagoguery and invest in welcoming asylum seekers and getting them to work. So, that was Tiffany Caban saying that back in the day in 1907, we were taking on roughly 300,000 people a month. And that is true, but we weren't housing 300,000 people in New York a month. What we were doing then was actually just, it was pretty much an airport. But you're coming by boat, right? So you're coming by boat. You're here for a week, maybe a month. They check you out, make sure you don't have lice, make sure that you're healthy and you're not mentally unfit, and then they send you along. And you're not staying in New York because if we do the math on that, we do the, we actually scrutinize the numbers. The math on that is that that would be 3.6 million new residents to New York every year. And back then, that was if you take a decade, that's 36 million people. New York has not crossed 20 million in population ever. So Obviously these people were coming to New York, landing in Ellis Island, but they were going somewhere else. And this is why progressives hate math. Because if you actually take the math, you can and you know what math is and you can and you're and you're mathematically literate, you can say, hey, you're wrong. Because people weren't staying in New York. We didn't actually have the we didn't have they didn't have a right to shelter in New York. We didn't have to shelter them. They came to New York and they were on their way to Ohio, to, to Massachusetts, to whichever state they saw fit to to actually you know take on the american dream and and start to work uh for a living as opposed to wanting to stay in new york and get services
0: that is true so uh, you know like reading more in this article it says um (laughs) it's true adam's words could give whiplash sometimes he's spoken with pride about his city built on migration but he wasn't particularly clear at the town hall whether he was complaining about the financial burden of servant asylum seekers or complaining about the presence of migrants themselves. Listen, let's be realistic here. Again, it's a play on words, right? Is that not a play on words when you're saying one like the way that they're receiving migrants at this point is completely different than what. He was talking about, he said, immigrants are always welcome. We're not just getting in people who are becoming citizens, right? We're getting in people from the border everywhere being sent to him at a high capacity, in a capacity where he's saying, look, you're not helping. You're not helping with the cover of the cost. They're a state. They're a city. They don't have the financial right. means the point to of, cover. Right,
1: and the point like, of entry is Texas now. It's not, it's not. Just right. the airport. Texas is Ellis Island. Yes. Right. So this is a completely like again. Like, I'm sorry. I just have to finish that point off because it's Texas is a point of entry. That's our Ellis Island now, but we're not processing them there. We're sending them to New York to get processed, and the people will fully expect us to house all these people after that, which is not what was happening back then. So again, like you, you look at these things and you and you look at the insanity of these of these politicians. And we had a, another politician that was on a. I guess it was a, a Zoom meeting they had with Eric Adams. And she said, I, "I forgot which one. It was a." a she sch- said,
0: "I'll take them. It was a city council, or is it a, a city council member out of where was it? Queens, Jackson Heights. Jackson Heights. We'll take them, and then crickets, 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 because
1: she the- realized what it meant to like actually have to take on all of A, that- a, a thousand people in one district. It's still, it would still, it, it, it would be the demise of the district,
0: right? And then it's like you're not taking into account the school districts, so." You're you're already a school you have kids going to school. Your 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 public schools already, even though it's the most funded school school districts in the country in New York City. You also have a lack and shortage of teachers. You have bad ratios of teachers to students. And now you're going to swamp them because what was that DOE letter saying? That even oh, yeah, yeah. though there was a DOE letter that came out. And, and so teachers are, on their own. teachers are on their own. Even if you don't know how to speak the language of the migrant that's coming into your classroom. Like, let's be real. Like you're 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 asking these people to take on an impossible task, and then you're then placing all the blame on one man who is not at fault for it all. How is it that Hokul takes no blame? And then in the same article, you're saying, Oh, well, the person that is supposed to be now running against um, mayor uh, Adams oh, yeah. in the upcoming election is is going to be Ramos. We,
1: we were we were about to wrap this up, but actually, yeah, that was so ridiculous that I completely forgot about that.
0: She's a front runner she, against them.
1: Yeah, she, they're saying that she's a front runner for mayor. Literally. Again, people that don't have a serious college education, people that don't have a serious idea about the city, and we're putting her forward for mayor. It's nonsense
0: because all you're doing is just. Again, adding vitriol against the man. And you're not providing any solutions. What are your plans? And you're
1: working against the desires of the black community.
0: You're working against the desires of the black community and the brown community. Also, I mean, you're working against the desires of all New York residents because these people already have children in schools and you're not thinking about what that does to their education when it's interrupted at this type of level. Right,
1: right. There was an article about, um, you know, I guess it was the uh, uh, newcomers high school where they had a line around the school with students waiting to get in. I'm sure that didn't affect the other children's, you know, attempt at getting in their first day of school. It didn't affect any of the lessons being taught. It didn't do anything to that. It was just all natural normal. Of course not. This is this is not normal. Yeah, and, you and already, it's affecting our children.
0: Right. You already had problems during the pandemic with kids not being learning able to loss. have not, learning loss there. You had inadequate uh, equipment because you didn't have kids ready and, and prompted to be able to do at home learning. And all these other types of uh, materials are at a disadvantage because we're, again, Mayor Adams is being realistic and he's saying it's not a part of the budget. Where are we getting the help? And instead of coming down on him, you should have joined your fellow Democrat. In saying, hey, Fed, what are you doing to help us instead of trying to make this a political window for you to run and to seek higher office? Stop playing politics with people's lives and do your job. All right, we're gonna move on over to uh, something that's happening in the Bronx. (laughs) We're gonna be reimagining the cross Bronx effort to host walkshops in September and October. All right, what's that going to look like? Because you know what this involves. Well,
1: the city will be hosting walking tours in September and October as part of a study of the Cross Bronx Expressway that is meant to find ways to lessen the highway's negative impact and surround on surrounding communities while keeping the artery intact. An official assesses how sections of the borough broken up by the monstrosity can be reconnected and detrimental health impacts of the roadway can be mitigated. These tours will allow members to, of the public to see the existing conditions around and underneath the highway. The walk shops will kick off September 9th and will take place on Saturday at 10 a.m. in, in September and October, each lasting about an hour and a half. They will be led by city agencies, community organizations, and elected officials.
0: I think I want to go. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I think I might do this. Okay. So, I mean, what do you make of it all?
1: Well, you know, it's, it, it's really interesting because you're going to be kind of, I, I hope you're impressed with us how we tie this all up. Um, <laughs> I, I was impressed with myself. So, you know, I, I'm ready to give myself the pat on the back, but ultimately we're talking about, um, they're, they're talking about covering over the highway and I guess the extreme end of it would be closing down the highway, <laughs> right? So it's either closing down or they're going to cover over. And then that way you'll be able to go walk over the highway and recreate this great park or this great thoroughfare in the m- middle that will have shops or something like something to that affects so that you bring back the the the, the those splits between the communities are, are mended and now you have this one walkable Bronx and there's just a lot to unpack with this and you know <laughs> we're running short on time so I'll get to it right 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 off the bat this is about gentrifying the Bronx and ultimately when you have congestion pricing in the mix what we're talking about and and you just saw the story with grinder and people not wanting to come back to work and how are we going to you know be able to make this better the Bronx is one of those places, as crazy as it sounds with this project, makes it very palatable to the people that might not have, let's say, your Midtown money or, you know, and they have rent for Brooklyn Heights money or, I mean, rent, rent for Park Slope. But maybe they want to own something in the city now because they're they're stuck here with their job. So they decide on the Bronx and that new place right next to the, 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 the park on the Cross Bronx Expressway. You know, or, or in the crossbox expressway that's been gutted and now it's a park altogether without a highway, however you want to see it, it becomes a wonderland for them. And and that and who loses on that? The same constituents that Jessica Ramos and these others say that they're helping um, by doing this project, which is being pushed by people like, you know, your Transalt, uh, which is Uber really and uh, your uh, because of course Uber would love this because that would mean more people have to take Ubers. Um So you have, you know, and all these uh, far left uh, agencies and the bike people and all that stuff like that, that want this thing to come to fruition, which is really, you know, they all end up, you know, playing point being played by bigger groups like your Uber and and, and the real estate lobby. And that's just what it is. And this is about gentrification of the Bronx. This is what it is and they're walking along to reimagine. You know what they're imagining? They're imagining not your brown butt, not your black butt, but some more white people like them. That's who's going to be on It's mainly white people and other really educated people like my wife that like this kind of uh, you know urban building. And that's what it is.
0: <laughs> yeah. When I said it, I was like laughing at you, and I said I'll go along on this walk, but I don't. <laughs> I don't really think that I'll be on this walk, lo- but it does sound exciting, right? It's a little fun. I mean, it's it's for the hipster crowd, um, and I think that like we have enough areas for hipsters to walk about. We've changed pretty much everywhere in the city to make it hipster friendly. So, like, is there anywhere that can be left authentically what it was at any point, or what serves um, a lot more of our uh, working class and our, you know? Lower income families. Right. Um, I mean, I mean, I know that you hate drivers, but gosh, yeah, like I mean, yeah. the
1: thing is, if you fix it, right, I, obviously it sounds like, well, I'm saying that these people can't deserve better. But if you fix it, obviously it'll become more attractive to other people and competition will occur. That is the nature of a capitalist and then you system. you get
0: forced out. Exactly. exactly. And you get forced out. But there's some places have to be left to. I'm not saying they can't be great. I mean, I don't feel like it's that terrible now. There's a lot of areas where you can shop and it's Kind of fun in the Bronx. There's, it's great. Like Parkchester. There's, like, there's different parts that are fun. Um, but I think that you know. I, I will. I would do this walking tour. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I don't know. It's, it, I think that it's going to be interesting, especially with everything that we know that's coming down the pipeline with congestion pricing and everything else. Um, so moving on to our WTF story, we have Florida man arrested after trying to cross Atlantic and human powered. What
1: is that? Hamster wheel.
0: <laughs> A hamster wheel. Let's, look. At least America has its priorities right. You know, Americans, we can't get out of here, but, you know, everybody else. Come on. Come on down. All right. Go ahead. A
1: man from Florida who was trying to cross the Atlantic in a human-powered hamster wheel was arrested by the Coast Guard, according to court documents. Reza, Rizzo Bellucci was 70 miles off of Georgia when officers found him on <laughs> <during> a <laughs> manifestly unsafe voyage while Hurricane Franklin was headed toward the area. The Coast Guard said Wednesday in a statement on Facebook. The Coast Guard said the vessel was afloat as a result of wiring and buoys. Belucci was arrested August 28th after a bizarre oh, wow. three-day standoff with authorities, it really said. At one point, Belucci, who refused to get off the vessel, displayed two knives and threatened to hurt himself at Officer's Board, according to Charges filed in the U.S. District Court for Southern Florida. He also threatened to blow himself up, at which point the Coast <laughs> okay. Guard officers... On site, contacted the Navy to determine the location of the alleged bomb, but Belushi later revealed that the bomb was not real according to the complaint. Belushi told the Coast Guard crew that he was trying to travel to London in his, hydropod, in his hydropod vessel. It's not the first time authorities have found Belushi trying to cross the ocean on a human-powered vessel. In 2014, the Coast Guard found him 70 miles off of Florida in an inflatable bubble during an attempt to run around the Bermuda Triangle. Belushi is charged with obstruction of boarding. Court, court finally show. He signed the conditions of the bond of two hundred fifty thousand dollars. His attorney has been ordered to appear, according to court filings. Belushi and the public defender resp- representing him did not respond to immediately to response to, to request for comment.
0: Wow! Listen, I already I told you I had I, like I I I actually knew what the story was today, and I was like, look, they will not let an American out of this, but they will let. <laughs> I mean, I'll, I'll stay true to it, and I don't. I, you can call it xenophobic all you want to. A Muslim, I don't care. This is insane. Like, really, like the dude can't get out, and he's getting charged with all this. He didn't have a real bomb. Like, I mean, he he can have a knife on his vessel. He may have been cooking. I don't know what kind of situation he had in there. But let you, the dude do what he's doing. What is he?
1: You can't have an undocumented exit. Uh, okay. Well, because that's what it is, right? It's, it's an, uh, yeah. Because he's not a documented boat. They didn't get because guess
0: what? Because other places have borders. That's why. Because he can't go anywhere else. Because other places have borders. London has borders.
1: So true. <laughs> well, England, right?
0: Yeah, England has borders. But to get to London, to get through Heathrow, you can't get in there just saying, "Oh my God, you can't." It's just not. You're not doing it. Can't do that. Okay. okay. <laughs>
1: I know, I know you're waiting for that slam dunk and I, i'm glad you got it baby so let's, let's 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 do the thing go ahead
0: all right y'all thank you for listening this has been a heck of a week uh, i think the stories have been great i hope you keep listening make sure you like subscribe and follow, follow. <laughs> have a good